and boom there it is ladies and gentlemen look i know having a nine to five is what you were taught most of your life but we live in very detrimental financial times and a side hustle maybe having a startup is something that you might be interested in and if you are then you're in luck because this episode is going to give you a lot of information to help you if you're in the startup space let's get this one on the road here we go shut up and sit down look a business can give you everything you want in life prestige wealth freedom it can also take everything away from you this show is for those who are willing to take that risk these are the real life stories of entrepreneurs but before we start i have one small favor to ask please leave a comment it can be advice critiques tips feedback or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency so thank you and welcome to another episode of business Plus. Attention all aspiring entrepreneurs. Are you tired of launching a business that never takes off? Are you struggling to find the right investment to kickstart your next venture? Well, fear no more. Our guest today is a seasoned entrepreneur and founder of 25 successful startups, including companies in the technology, finance, and health industries. He's here to share his expertise on launching a business with performance-based equity, a game-changing method that's helped countless entrepreneurs kickstart their dreams. Let's get ready to learn from one of the most successful business leaders in the game. Let's welcome to the show, Mr. Chris Joy. Let the party begin. Chris, welcome to the program, man. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, let's do this thing. Um, let's do it. You, you have started and launched 25 different companies. That's a lot. Some have that whole that old saying, the uh, jack of all trades type scenario, but you've managed to make them successful. What advice would you have for like aspiring entrepreneurs? Sure. I, I mean, for aspiring entrepreneurs, they, they, the first step is literally taking the first step. Uh, it's not sitting there and planning for months or years or anything like that. It's taking the first step and utilizing whatever resources at your disposal right this second. Not hesitating, not going ahead and putting it off, uh, not going ahead and delaying. It's literally getting that idea out there and seeing what happens because the world is kind of a strange place. If you're on the right road, good shit will happen. Absolutely will. As long as you get started. Uh, so today my students are presenting uh, their research projects. They were supposed to go on TikTok, find an AI software that makes their life easier. In other words, you got a problem, find a solution, make it the easiest way possible. Um, and my goal in this is simply twofold. One is to get them introduced to these different AI platforms, but the other is to kind of change their TikTok algorithm because of the search criteria that they're putting in there to get them in that position where, oh, I got an idea. Now I got to take into action. What do you think about that? I think absolutely. I, first of all, utilizing TikTok is something that we do uh, for everything. First of all, to see trends, uh, to see new ways of thinking, to ideate, uh, to bounce back and forth. I think it's an invaluable thing. I saw about five minutes before I got on here right now with you, uh, just utilizing TikTok 
to diagnose a certain disease that couldn't be solved for years. Uh, so I definitely agree doing that. The AI is a layup. Uh, there's good AI tools. There's bad AI tools. It's really a function of the person utilizing it uh, to the best of their ability. So it's really what you give to it is really what you get back when it comes to AI. But either way, we got to make sure that they take action, right? So Absolutely. Let, let me jump into the performance-based equity, which is something that you're, you're specializing in. How does it help a business get off the ground? What, it, what does it actually mean? And, and like, what kind of business is this best suited for? Sure. So think of it this way. What I usually say to founders is the following. Think of what you would do with a million or $2 million in the bank account right this second. Act as if it was in your checking account. And then answer the question of how would you build your business? What business would you do? Because you can do that with performance-based equity. We do it all day, every day. Uh, what is performance-based equity? Performance-based equity are when people apply to join your company in exchange for equity. And nobody gets a damn thing in the company unless the company is able to launch, able to succeed out there in the marketplace. But we do it across all industries, all different verticals, everything from B2B, B2C, B2B2C, and everything in between from consumer goods, manufacturing, SaaS, fintech, AR, VR, AI, gaming, medical devices, uh, prop tech, you name it, we've got it. Uh, and more importantly, this type of methodology actually has a much higher success rate than standard business development. We've got greater than an 80% success rate when people form companies this way. I know there's a, oftentimes the, the startup ends up being a solopreneur. They go from leaving a job because they have a goal and dream and ambition to owning a job that becomes a terrible nightmare that they're stuck in. What you're talking about here is actually bringing together that mastermind team, the group of people who are tens in their sector and then working towards a common goal. Uh, is that essentially what you're talking about when you mean performance-based equity? See, that was beautiful what you just there because you actually did it in, in terms of the advanced way of viewing it. So what we say is what you utilize Gusher to leapfrog generational development because you're bringing in people that are experts at their vertical. You don't want to deal with newbies. Uh, you really want to bring in the experts at what they do because it allows you to shorten your time, allows you to create a better product, a better service, a better company. And so it enables you to get to market quicker and actually become self-sustaining and or raise larger amounts of capital depending upon how you roll it out. So let's talk about that uh, that part. So sure. funding for a lot of these companies can get very difficult, uh, especially when they're solo people. At least with the team, you have a lot more to uh, write about in your business plan, a lot more targeting that you can work on. How does this approach maybe uh, affect the funding or maybe make it a little bit different to traditional methods? Uh, what are some of the benefits that that when they're looking for capital that people can benefit from when they're using performance-based equity? Well, with performance-based equity, and you don't really know this until you actually do it, you don't need a penny. I mean, you literally don't need a penny until you get above usually the 10 million in, in sales volume level. And the reason when you raise capital above that is usually to do a land grab to expand, to go ahead and create and take over the industry, et cetera, et cetera. But the first 10 million of sales, you don't need anything. And I don't really care what it is. Uh, so if it's something that you need inventory, there's ways to do it without inventory. You need plastic injection molding and everything done, 
there's ways to do it. Uh, you need a software development team. You don't need the capital. You need the performance-based equity. So really when it comes to funding, it's usually after the company has traction, it's already generating and becoming self-sustaining. And really the companies on Gusher and what we create are self-sustaining companies that really then maybe go out and raise capital uh, for later rounds or after they've already developed and got the company going. But having the team uh, that amps your ability to raise capital a million fold, uh, a lot. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, it's part of it has to do with the fact that you're bringing in sales and closers, you're bringing in marketers, you're bringing in designers, you're bringing in all these different people that are going to help bring that revenue up front. So you're not really worried about that aspect at the very beginning. And even if you're looking for some of these bigger things, tooling or molding or things like that, that's where some of that equity comes into play. So you can bring that to the table without having to raise funds. Did I hear you correctly? Yeah, absolutely. So think of it this way. If you're going to go out there and raise capital and the chances of raising capital, by the way, are extremely low. I don't know if anybody really in your class or there knows really how few companies get funding. But when you're looking at venture capital and standard VCs, the numbers range from about one in 700 companies to one in 5,000 is your best shot of getting capital. And so that really leaves the odds as stacked against you. So where's that other ca capital coming from? People will say, well, angel investors. Well, the angel investors, it's the same dismal numbers. You have a very low, low amount. So most of them are really just shoestringing it. They get from friends and family. Uh, maybe they make it, maybe they don't. Uh, but before you really burn your friends and family, if you can't bring people on into your company for performance-based equity, chances are you shouldn't be doing that company to begin with because the whole point is you should be able to convince and persuade people to join your company to back that idea. That really is the primary thesis of what we do. You've worked across a wide range of industries, technology, finance, health. How can entrepreneurs figure out which industry is right for them? Like what advice would you give to someone who's considering starting a business and they don't know what field to get into? Sure. Well, first of all, if they don't know a field to get into, they should just be exploring. Uh, like you were using TikTok earlier and everything else. Well, the beautiful thing about now with social media and the ability to reach out to people is people right now are literally one level removed from anyone. I mean, there's nothing stopping anyone from reaching out to somebody that's doing what they're considering doing. And by simply reaching out and asking, hey, can I talk to you? Pick your brain for a couple minutes. Can I buy you a coffee? Can I you know, do whatever? And talking to people, that's the best way of really learning if something may or may not be for you. But the second thing is, I don't know if you see this right now, I'm getting goosebumps on my arm. The fact of the matter, if something gives you goosebumps, if something goes ahead and when you're going to sleep, you're thinking about it. If something sticks in your head and when you wake up, you're thinking about it, or as you think about it, it makes you smile. Those are pretty damn good indicators that you should be doing it because then it's going to be more than just transactional. It's going to have an emotional tie into really who you are and what you're about. It's definitely going to keep you going on those days where you lack motivation. Because let's face it, most of the time you don't have motivation to keep going, right? I mean, you work with a lot of entrepreneurs. How many of them wake up motivated every single day versus the ones that have discipline? 
Listen, none have that every single day. I don't have that every single day. But there's a thing that you learn, I think, as you get older. And I phrase it a little bit differently than discipline. Discipline is a given. You have to have absolute extreme discipline. But I, I phrase it differently. I think that once you make a decision, at least once I make a decision, and I teach founders this, you don't revisit that decision. So if you're there to go ahead and start a company, you're not waking up the next morning at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. thinking, oh, this is going to be so hard. Should I do this? That's not even a thought in your head. You can't let those thoughts enter your head. Make the decision once and you just do it. If it's cold the next day and you're supposed to be working out out in your garage, it doesn't matter if it's cold. It doesn't matter if it's snowing. It doesn't matter if you hurt. You just go do the damn workout. Uh, so maybe that's what you're referring to as discipline, which I agree. But I just believe that you make a decision on something, you see it to the end, period. You make the decision once. Don't waste your brain power on making that decision or revisiting it every day. Oh, yeah, because I know hey, there's a ton of stuff that goes on in my head and I keep thinking about it, keep thinking about it. It's so much wasted time and yes. energy thinking about that thing over and over. Just decide and move on. All right, well, what do you think is the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make? How could they avoid it? Literally, you talk to all kinds of entrepreneurs, whether they want you on themselves or be a part of a, of a team. What mistakes are they making and, and how do you help them kind of avoid those? Sure. I, I think the number one mistake that people make is they're afraid to have a high standard. Uh, so what do I mean by that? I mean that, you know, everybody is worried about perfection and, and trying to make something perfect and whatever else. And I believe in having a high standard. But the point is, is that you want to surround yourself with much better people than you are at what they do. So that's the first thing. So a lot of times entrepreneurs make a mistake in kind of like uh, settling or, or not really demanding uh, the, a certain level or a high standard of work, of competency, of whatever it may be. But also with the perfection side of it, they're always worried about making mistakes when, in fact, making the mistakes and failing is part of the process. You are, as an entrepreneur, defined as taking risk and having failure day in and day out. They're just stepping stones towards the success. And that's not BS. I mean, that's literally everything from product iterations to packaging iterations to marketing voice iterations. Uh, it's over and over and over. When you see a business, it's not just that business. It's a series of these very, very small failures that were made thousands, if not millions of times. And that's, I think, one of the benefits of what you guys are putting together is most entrepreneurs do not rush to failure for fear of making a mistake. Whereas when you're working with a team, it's almost like you're driven to a failure point as fast as possible because you know that you have that team to bounce off. How do we solve this? How do we fix this? Where do we go from here? It's, it's completely different dynamic, I'd imagine, when working with an organization like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because as a solopreneur, you're everything. I mean, you do everything. But when you put together a team and you go about it, what I call the right way, I mean, there's no one right way, but what I consider the right way, uh, it's something that really, you know, I depended upon my people to solve those problems. It's something where, you know, I kind of listen to the expertise and also, you know, those problems, if they're not solved in the right way, they're not fatal. Uh, no one's going to wake up tomorrow and be dead. Uh, no one's going to go ahead and, and have their whole life shattered or the business go down uh, kaput in one day from whatever the failure is. It's the type of thing where really those failures are necessary. They're a necessary part of company creation and ID, idea creation or, or bringing it to life. 
All right, well, building a team can be probably one of the most difficult parts of getting a business together because sometimes it's a matter of you have the right skill set, but you don't jive with the person, right? So part of it is culture, part of it is skill set. What advice do you have for someone who's struggling to find the right team members or partners for their business? How can they build a team that's committed to their vision as much as they are committed to their vision? Well, I'm going to cover this in two things. Okay. So first of all, you said it's a tough part. We think it's the toughest part. And it's also the litmus test for whether or not an entrepreneur is going to be successful. So if you're able to recruit people to your team, that means that chances are you talk to them a certain way that now is going to be the next step for you to be able to talk to the market in the right way or talk to investors in the right way. So that's not just recruiting. It's a very, very important part of the entire process. So as for your second part of your question, how do you find team members like yourself? Let me give you a quick example. We had a company on our platform. We still do. Uh, I won't go into details, but he had a sick dog and he ended up creating a dog food company. I'm going to give you the quick version, all right? So he goes ahead and creates this dog food company and brings in these players that have managed $50 million, $100 million, $200 million budgets. And six weeks later, the company implodes, okay? The second team he puts together all had something in common. A year later, they're worth more than $10 million, growing 30 35% month over month, just got national distribution with a couple large retailers and everything else. His second team all had something in common. His first team did not. This is not a trick question. It's a dog food company. Ask your class what they all had in common. It's a dog food company. What did they have they in common? They owned a dog, of They course. owned a dog. They didn't just own a dog. They weren't parents. They were dog parents. They ate dog, breathed dog, lived dog, pooped dog. They were dog zealots. So the whole point is that's called your vested interest market. The people that have the most to gain from the success or failure of your company, that's what your team needs to be made up of. They have to have people that have experienced your problem, your scenario, your situation, understand your mission so that they're able to pull that sled up the mountain a hell of a lot quicker than a normal team would. And I'm assuming this is what happens at Gusher, right? This is where we're kind of finding fine-tuning a lot of these different team members and 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 putting together a mastermind that will work. So you find those dog lovers. So you have a strategy to get those people in place, right? Absolutely. Uh, we've got a saying, one plus one does not equal two on Gusher. One plus one equals done. What do we mean by that? We mean that the founders that are able to bring one person, just one person on for performance-based equity, those are the companies that are able to get fully fleshed out teams. Those are the companies that are able to create the product, the service, whatever it may be. And those are the companies that are have the 80% success rate when it comes to putting their company out there into the marketplace. It all comes down to recruiting the right people. All right. I lost you there for a second. Must be the oh. internet thing. No worries. We're back. I'm going to do that it's real okay, quick again. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do it one more time real, real quick here at the end. Okay. So what I was going to say is, is basically everything comes down to the recruiting process. All right. I'm going ahead and bringing those people, those team members on those team members are the ones that are able, uh, when we have gusher, we say one plus one does not equal two. One plus one equals done. What do I mean by that? It means that the companies, the founders are able to bring one person on for performance-based equity. Those are the companies that go on to launch successfully in the marketplace, are able to flesh out a full team, and are able to be the 80% that are successful. So it all comes down to recruiting the right team. 
how much equity are we giving up and what describes like what kind of team is a is a perfect team is it you know is it a number of people is it a department uh is sure. it like a corporate structure how does how does one like judge what a team is sure well equity numbers you should always stay below 20 percent equity that you're giving up for your team in exchange for it so as a founder what we always tell founders is you always want to retain 80 percent at the beginning stages there's reasons for that that in the later rounds you can end up upside down and disincentivized so you always go ahead and retain at least 80 percent most founders retain a lot more so as for team typically the structure is made up of the following you always need a chief marketing officer, a CMO, regardless of the company. You always need a creative director, regardless of the company, to be able to bring voice to the marketplaces and social media manager or something like that. But then depending upon whether it's a tech company or not, you may need a chief technology officer, front end, back end, UI, UX designers, uh, developers, uh, and you also may need biz dev, a CFO that's not a chief, that's not a transactional chief financial officer, but a rainmaker CFO. And then depending on the type of company, you may need specialty roles. Like uh, if I'm doing a formulation, you may need a material scientist or something along those lines that, that's specific. But almost always you need all the C-level roles uh, just like any other company. What about if I'm thinking uh, if I'm thinking about going nationally? I mean, you've you've set up companies, and nowadays with the internet being so, I mean, embedded in all over the world, where you're getting products developed, where you're getting products shipped from, and now you're even selling across uh, country lines. What are some of the challenges that come with launching a business, maybe in a new country or selling in a new country that entrepreneurs can prepare for? Sure. Well, the first thing is the language barrier. So how to resonate with them. So what I say to most companies, I don't care whether they consider themselves to be a tech company, a medical device company, a prop tech company, whatever it is, is that you're not a tech company. You're not a medical device company. First and foremost, you are a marketing and sales company, regardless of the industry. So you need to talk the language of whoever the hell you're trying to market and sell to. And without that in place, you're not going to go anywhere. That's why the vast majority of venture capital funded companies never attain that magical product market fit uh, because they're not speaking in the language of the, of the actual customer. They built a solution that either no one is interested in or that they can't convey in a compelling way. And then now taking that internationally, that becomes a whole different ballgame. So you damn well better have your, your base at home first before you start doing it internationally. 100%. Speaking of base at home, I don't think anything is more at home than right here in between our ears. And I think many entrepreneurs struggle with imposter syndrome, that whole idea of self-doubt, especially when they're launching a business. So how do you deal, how do you help entrepreneurs deal with that feeling? And what advice would you give to them when they're, when they're definitely getting started at the beginning, stepping into a space maybe they, they're not sure about, or they're just trying to learn? Uh, th this is why I think what, what entrepreneurs need to know or would-be entrepreneurs is that that place of, of imposter syndrome, and I've been on stage uh, with people talking about this, entrepreneurs that I brought on, and, and hearing them was actually damn interesting, is that you know a place of discomfort, of being uncomfortable, of being what I call in the fire or in the furnace is what entrepreneurship is about. 
It's not about being comfortable. It's not being that, hey, everybody believes you and that, hey, you have these years and decades of experience where now you don't feel like an imposter. Let me tell you something. Before I get on stage and I'm giving a public speaking gig in front of, you know, 500, 1,000, 2,000 people, I still, right beforehand, want to run away or get into a fight, one or the other. That fight or flee mechanism comes on. But sure enough, I use that as fuel. Uh, on the stage. I mean, to this day, I still feel it. Uh, so imposter syndrome doesn't go away. It's just, I think your ability to handle it and use it as a good thing is the way that you've got to view it. Imposter syndrome, that's here to stay. I feel like it goes back to the, one of the things you said at the beginning. It's one of those just take action type things. You you don't know what you don't know. You're, you're going to make mistakes. Failure is actually part of the success path. You have to do that. And throughout each one of those steps, you're still feeling that, mm, am I good enough? Uh, did I do the right job? Did I make the right decision? Yeah, right? But, but think about it this way. Regardless of the business, when a person starts that business right off the bat, they now know more than 99.999% of people when it comes to that business. So they're, they're not an imposter. They do know, even though it's a small amount, a lot more than the average person does. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with, you might not know every aspect of business, but you're familiar with your business itself. Like, you know, this podcasting space, you're episode 1,127. I would consider myself pretty much an expert. And yet I can sit next to Joe Rogan at some time in the future and still feel like an imposter, uh, sitting in front of different people who do the same thing and still feel like an imposter. And yet I still have that expertise in that space. I love how you laid that out. Cause it, you're exactly right. You're going to feel that way, but you still go on and move forward anyway. So as someone who has founded multiple companies, what do you think sets successful entrepreneurs apart from those who struggle to get their businesses off the ground? If you could just pinpoint it, what's that one thing that sets that entrepreneur from dwelling in that imposter syndrome to actually taking action and, and making their, their dreams a reality? Here's the thing. And regardless of ethnicity, regardless of geographic location, regardless of income, uh, regardless of your age, regardless of your background, everything else, it, it really comes down to one thing. Absolutely one thing. And I really believe this to my core. I don't think it has to do with your intelligence. I don't care whether that's a rich family, poor family, any family. All right. I think it comes down to one thing. Very simple thing. Never giving up. You just never give up. So long as you never give up, so long as you take iterate and you go down that road and you never get off that damn roller coaster, you will eventually get to where you want to go. Just never give up. Yes. Uh, uh, what was it? A, a bad plan with constant action is way better than a perfect plan, right? With, with That's no General Patton. General Patton did that one. Right? That quote. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'd imagine you see this over and over and over again. People come in with an idea that sounds like crap. And then by the time they finish, by the time they get to a successful point, it's light years different from where they originally started, right? Right. And that's why we always say never kill ideas ever. I mean, I learned this when I was nine years old and I had one of my ideas shit on by an electrical engineer stepfather of mine. That was a total bastard. But anyway, I mean, literally, but it led me here, which is a good thing. So you never crap on, on ideas ever. 
Uh, you put them out there. You give them life because they almost always, if they're a crappy idea, they will go ahead and evolve and evolve and evolve and evolve. But it's got to start somewhere. People think they need this great idea. 70 or 80% of all owners of businesses, when asked what is their difference between them and competitors in their vertical, say nothing, nothing. So there's no difference between their business. Now I say the opposite. I say, well, you're a different person. You have different DNA. You, by definition, already have an advantage because of your DNA. So the fact of the matter is, you know, stop worrying about the perfect idea and just start. All right. Now tell me about gusher.co. What is this all about? How How is this discussion that we had today building an empire? How can Gusher help me do that? Sure. Th think of it this way. As an entrepreneur, as a founder, most people think that there's a barrier to entry and that barrier to entry is capital. That capital is not a barrier to entry. With Gush, you're able to go ahead and build up a full team of people working side by side with you. You're going ahead and accomplishing your objectives to get that company to launch stage without needing a penny. It's done with performance-based equity. We don't charge you. We're also a performance-based equity player. We only succeed if you succeed. And the point is to get that company launched without using capital. Just get it launched today. So what's that process like? If, if I was an entrepreneur, I'm like, I got a great idea. This is the business I want to get into. Uh, and I go to your website. What's that process like? What kind of entrepreneur should be going there? and looking to, to, to find more resources? Sure. Well, I mean, it doesn't cost anything. So you just go ahead and log into gusher.co, G-U-S-H-E-R.co. And, and basically, you just start building what's called a startup draft. So in that, we walk a person through step-by-step. Step. There's videos, there's how-tos, but it really comes down to just explaining what you're trying to do, your problem, solution, and market, and then building the team roles that you need. Uh, so whether it's a CMO, a chief financial officer, front end, back end, UI, UX developers, CTO, you just start building up your team. And then you go through the launch process. We go ahead and review your deal. Uh, we help you go ahead and craft it better uh, than you would have. So we onboard you pretty damn well. And then we hold your hand every step of the way, whether it's going ahead and showing up in Las Vegas to help close an investor on your deal. We've done that. Whether it's going ahead in Wisconsin in the middle of winter and doing that dog food factory uh, for that other deal. Well, we've shown up there and done that. So whatever you need help with, we're here for it. And we walk you through it step by step. You are literally helping entrepreneurs, holding their hand, walking them through what it takes to build a real business, not to have a solo job. So I know we've said it a number of times, but if people want to reach out, they want to talk to you, they want to have uh, some information, how can they do that? Sure. Just go to gusher.co, G-U-S-H-E-R.co. I'm there and everywhere else. I'm pretty easily accessible, but our whole team's accessible. It's what we do all day, every day. We create and launch companies in almost every vertical. I love it. Chris, uh, 30 minutes has literally flown by here. I know you've we've shared so much information for people, everything from you know how to build a team to getting out of your own head and getting out of your own way. Uh, you do a number of different podcast presentations, and I'm curious on my own side, what was your experience like creating uh, 30, 30 days of content essentially with us on a 30-minute episode? Oh, I think it's awesome. I, yours is probably one of, if not the best. I like the pacing of it. I like what you do. Hats off to you because you're in a different level. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, 
ladies and gentlemen, this is really what it comes down to. Starting a business is not the easiest thing in the world. And I promise you, you don't have all the answers. But what Chris shared with us today is literally helping you get the answers that you're looking for. Not just the answer, but the teammates that'll help you achieve success. Because at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We want a business that is successful, that solves a problem in the, in, in the market. And sometimes it takes people that are maybe a little skilled in other areas that you are, but who, where are they? Who are they? How do you find them? You guys can go to gusher.co to get started. Chris is here to help us get through that. Gusher.co to get yourselves rocking and rolling. Chris, thank you very much. Before we head out, any final thoughts? Literally, that, that little voice inside your head uh, that everybody's telling you not to do it, that everybody's pooling on, that uh, basically in your darkest hours, you kind of downplay and the other voices are screaming at it. That little one lone voice uh, that says you can do it, that is a lot more powerful than anything else on the face of this earth. Listen to that one little voice. That's it. Listen to the little voice. And this little voice is telling you guys, thank you very much for tuning in on today's episode. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. And we're out. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast. But not just any podcast. Podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started today.